to another edition of To The Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well on this Tuesday, and I hope everybody's having a great week. Uh, you can follow us on our social channels, YouTube, Facebook, all of the above. We are into the month of February. And, you know, I expected to come into today's pod and lead off with, you know, talk about some pretty atrocious goaltending uh, in the Toronto, New Jersey game last night. And I think, well, maybe I'll talk about the Raptors. And, you know, really, I think their most impressive win of the season last night after a triple overtime game Saturday evening against the Miami Heat. You know, there's some Jim Harbaugh news that I thought I could get to. But, you know, it it's so rare when quite possibly the greatest athlete of all time is hanging up the cleats, is retiring. It's rare that you get to talk about, you know, a figure that that is larger than life in many ways. And in 1998, Michael Jordan won his last NBA championship. And many would argue who's the last year Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan. That was the year I was born. I didn't get to fully appreciate Michael Jordan. I've watched a lot of his old games, obviously absorbed. I've watched the last dance two times through. And I think he, if he's not the greatest, I think the, the man who retired today is right there with him. And obviously the breaking news of the day, and I'm sure you've read about it. I'm sure you've heard it. Tom Brady the current Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, the former New England Patriots quarterback for 20 years, has retired from the National Football League after 22 seasons. Obviously, this was reported. uh, Initially, it was actually reported Friday by Jason Lockenfour of CBS Sports. Then it was given validation, if you will, by the mothership, Jeff Darlington and Adam Schefter, Saturday afternoon. And, you know, to their credit, Shefty and Darlington were correct with the story. Um, Clearly, this was a leak because Tom Brady wrote a nine-page Instagram um, message today, you know, thanking everybody, uh, addressing his retirement, you know, announcing it publicly. And um, I understand why Schefter and Darlington reported it. It is their job. They are reporters. Whoever leaked it really should be ashamed of themselves because Tom Brady deserved to retire the way he wanted to. Whether he wanted to, you know, get Martin Scorsese to make a great video or do it the way he did today or have a press conference, that was up to him to make that decision. It's not reporters, in my opinion, but they were given a scoop. They did their job. Kudos to them. But today's about Tom Brady and his greatness. Seven Super Bowls, the most passing yards in the history of the NFL, the most touchdowns, the most completions. He set records that will likely never be broken. He played 22 seasons in the NFL, 20 as a starter. And maybe one of the most incredible things about Hall of Fame Mount Rushmore career is he only missed one season in 2008 he tore his ACL in game number one missed that entire season but other than that 
he has been relatively healthy. You know, we've heard about uh, head injuries in the past. Giselle, his wife, Giselle Bunchen, has mentioned that, you know, I hate, you know, Tom's had multiple concussions that aren't reported. This isn't exactly big news coming from the NFL world. But so there's, but all in all, he was available to play most Sundays, most Thursdays, most Mondays, or whenever he needed to play. And 35 playoff wins, that'll never be touched. That'll never be close, in my opinion. The most clutch quarterback ever. And, you know, it's, it's quite a story because, you know, Wayne Gretzky was a phenom. Michael Jordan won the top three of the draft. Won a national championship in North Carolina. Tom Brady didn't have that same arc. Tom Brady was not starting at the University of Michigan. He was on the bench behind Brian Greasy, who is now calling Monday Night Football games for the mothership. He didn't, he didn't play much until his senior season. Never got close to a national championship. Was never in the Heisman discussion. He didn't have the arc of a Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow. Even his teammate, Kyle Trask, went in the second round. Tom Brady was a six-round draft pick. And what you love about Brady and what you love about Jordan is they're so damn competitive. Going in the sixth round to a guy like Tom Brady was the ultimate slight because he's leaving the greatest ever. And I'm sure when he entered the league, he said, I'm going to leave this place something special. Maybe he didn't even think he could reach these kind of heights, but he clearly thought he was better than the sixth round draft pick. And every player that was taken before him, every team that snubbed him, he used it as fuel like Jordan did making up stories or coming after George Carl, destroying players along the way. And there's more than one way to make a great player. Wayne Gretzky was not like this. Mark Messier, very different. Um, Scott Niedemeyer I wouldn't, is not, you know, go for the throat. A great winner, a great competitor, but I wouldn't say he was like these guys. And, but Brady did it. Jordan did it. Kobe Bryant did it. And these are some of the greatest players that were just go for the throat straight killers in the clutch moments. And for Tom Brady, I don't know if he'll ever be truly appreciated enough. And the reason I say that is people love or hate Tom Brady. And I think it has a lot to do with the Patriots. Um, You love the New England Patriots or you hate them. You hate Bill Belichick. You hate what they stand for. They cheat. So they have this stigma about them that is, you know, counterfeit or just something you don't want to be associated with. And whether that stigma, whether that opinion is valid or not, is really irrelevant in this conversation. Brady is loved by his teammates. Brady is loved by most people in New England. Maybe mine is Belichick. But he might not be truly appreciated enough because, and this is actually a good thing. 
because he he won. It's hard to root for somebody that wins every year. People can say they want to have a, you know, I love dynasties. I love winners. But I think if you had a poll question and you'd rather, you say, would you rather see this player win his third championship in a row or an upstart team like this year's Cincinnati Bengals win a Super Bowl for the first time in 30 plus years? I think most people are going to select the Bengals because they like new things. They don't like to see the same people in the Super Bowl. Well, in 22 seasons, Tom Brady played in 10 Super Bowls, going seven and three. And, and you, you think about it, he lost three, but it, it's the little details. Tom Brady, a seven-time Super Bowl champion. But if teams make slight changes, he might have three or four. Still at all-time great, don't get me wrong. But I don't think people would put him above Joe Montana without some of these big decisions. Seattle obviously is the, the easy one. The first one that comes to mind, they throw the ball at the one yard line when they have Marshawn Lynch and Malcolm Butler, who hadn't played most of the season comes up, makes a big play, seals the victory. They run the ball there. They're going to have four cracks at first and goal from the one. I think they're scoring Seattle overthought it. Um, and it ultimately cost them. Brady had a good game, but he very well could have lost one. It's little small details. Playing against Oakland when they won his second, uh, first Super Bowl, that was a fumble. Tom Brady fumbled the ball. They ruled it a forward pass, now known as the tuck rule. And he would have lost that game. The Patriots would have lost that football game. They ultimately won in the last second field goal by Adam Vinatieri and they escape with a victory and they go on to win the Super Bowl. Again, what happens? There's just certain, you get certain breaks, certain, you know, Atlanta is up 28 to three. And you give, I give Brady a ton of credit in this game because he had to will the team back. But also you look at Kyle Shanahan, you look at Dan Quinn and say, why aren't you running the damn football? You run the ball, get a couple first downs there. Tom Brady doesn't come back. And Atlanta doesn't look like the worst, doesn't have the worst uh, Super Bowl choke job in the history of the league. But, you know, all day I was thinking about, you know, Brady moments. And what am I going to remember about him? And, uh, you know, just trying to think about some things for the podcast today. And, you know, where I gained the most respect for Tom Brady was, um, surprisingly, was in a loss. And, it was a 2015 AFC championship game, Denver versus New England, Denver home team. And I thought after watching that game, Tom Brady may retire because Vaughn Miller was at the height of his powers. He was an all-time great. He was a human wrecking machine. That day he sacked Tom Brady three times hit him eight times and that Broncos pass rush got consistent pressure and Brady got bludgeoned the next couple of seasons they made rules where you couldn't hit quarterbacks late you know they really improved safety of quarterbacks but that day Von Miller was hunting and he was feasting on that New England offensive line and Brady took him after the game he said that um, 
psychologically, I'm not over this one. And it's not about the loss. It's about the punishment I just absorbed. And to his credit, he comes back, goes through that offseason, gets prepared, gets ready. And he comes back and wins a Super Bowl. He, he finds a way to get back and win, you know, win a Super Bowl the next season. Because that's what he did. He just – they didn't have the most talent because Brady's not the most talented quarterback. He does not have the best arm in the history of the league, not even close. He's not mobile, never has been. Smart in the pocket, a good mover, but not fleet of foot whatsoever. But he just found ways to do it. He found a way to win them. And we go through his resume. It, you know, he beats the Rams, who were the, you know, the, the greatest show on turf. Defeats the Panthers in 04. Defeats Donovan McNabb, Terrell Owens in 2005. Defeats the Eagles. 2008, loses to the Giants. Now, this was, we'll get to his losses in the Super Bowls, but 2015, uh, 2016, sorry, defeats the Seahawks. 2017, Falcons loses to the Eagles in 18, defeats the Rams in 2019, obviously last year in 2021. We look at these games, defeated the Rams 2017, three points, defeated the Panthers 32-29, three points, defeated the Eagles 24-21, three points. Defeated the Seahawks, 28-24, four points. Defeated the Falcons by six. The biggest margin of victory was last season where they won by 22 points, but they were all touchdown games. And that's another thing to remember. It's just in close games, certain quarterbacks just have that will. Don't panic, make the right play. We saw Patrick Mahomes this weekend. He didn't have it. He choked. He gagged. Tom Brady never does. And it's another thing to say, you know, when a quarterback gets a ball, you're like, I feel pretty comfortable that they're going to go win the game. If you have the, the ball in the last two minutes left. Mahomes won the toss in overtime. And I think most people thought they're going to go win the game, but he didn't. Tom Brady gets the ball in overtime, gets the ball with two minutes left. The game's over. That's just how his career went. It was lock. It didn't matter what the defense was doing the rest of the game. He was going to go win that football game. Hell or high water, he'd find a way. And there's very few quarterbacks that you could have that much confidence in late in games to say, it's a lock. He's going to go get this game-winning touchdown, game-winning field goal, whatever they needed. Tom Brady, another thing you'll always remember about him and something that I think really defines his career is situational awareness. Quarterbacks can have all the talent in the world. They can have all the attributes. But do you have a football brain? And sometimes not just calling plays, but just look at the clock and say, we got a minute, 15 seconds. I have one timeout. This is what I can do. This is the plays that I can run. This is where we need to be by this certain by this amount of time. And Brady was a genius at this. In New England, Belichick would defer always to give the opposing team the ball so that seeing the lineup that the Patriots would get the ball to end the first half, get the ball then 
to start the second half and they'd score a touchdown on both drives. And before you know it, the game's a blowout. They did this routinely. And you look at Brady, who he's worked with. Bill O'Brien became a head coach. Josh McDaniels, head coach. These guys that worked with Brady, he had McDaniels for a long time, but these guys have success with him. They get head coaching opportunities. It's not just the Belichick tree where Romeo Cornell and all these guys will get looks. You know, Joe Judge, Matt Patricia. It happens to align with Brady as well because his offensive coordinators became head coaches. Whether they were any good or not, it doesn't matter. It's just about that he produced he really helped their careers and pushed it forward in a big way. And, you know, it's just a phenomenal career, fantastic player. And the, I think it's a, I don't think it's a sad day because he's 44 years old. Could he still play next season? Absolutely. But the reason it's not a sad day, the reason you can look at it fondly is because the NFL is in such a good place. And I talked about this the other day, but you look at one corner, you have Joe Burrow. Then you have Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Justin Fields, all these talented, all these great young quarterbacks that are going to be fine for the league. Now, are there quarterbacks that you'd say, boy, I wish we had Tom Brady in this game or, you know, we're going to miss him when we have to watch Kirk Cousins. Of course, but that was every generation. There have been bad quarterbacks through every year, all the years of the NFL. That's just how it works. Some guys make it, some don't. Matt Flynn was a backup in Green Bay. Didn't turn out. Brian Hoyer, they always thought he could, he was Tom Brady's backup. He could be a, a starting quarterback. Never worked out for him. Still a backup in New England. Um, Jacoby Brissett got a look in Indianapolis. He was Brady's backup, still a backup quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is the most successful. Getting to a Super Bowl, getting to another NFC Championship game this weekend, but nobody would put him in the same even stratosphere as Tom Brady. Now, Brady's nine-page speech is good. You know, he thanked his wife, who, you know, gave up the most through all of this, said he wants to focus on his businesses that he started, um, you know, give back to, to uh, different charities, things of that nature, still be involved in the game because he loves it so much. I don't know if that's going to be, I could see him getting into ownership. Um, I know P, uh, Peyton Manning has really wanted to get to ownership. Um, I see the Denver Broncos are up for sale. Wouldn't be surprised to see Peyton Manning try to get a group together or John Elway do the same down in Denver. But what really interested me about the whole speech, I, I read through it all, really well said, uh, job well done by his PR people and uh, the people that read his content. But he never, you know, through this whole thing, he thanked Bruce Arians, BA. He thanked Jason Light. He thanked his teammates, you know, like I said, his wife, everybody, his father, everybody. Never in this nine pages of document. Did he reference? Did he think? Did he even maybe even think about the New England Patriots, Robert Kraft, or Bill Belichick? 
And maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill here. But to me, in retirement speeches, you thank the people that gave you your start. You thank the organization that drafted you, the coach, the owner that you had a great relationship with, the, the team that you were with for 20 years. He thanked his Bucks teammates. He thanked the Bucks organization who he was there for two seasons. Maybe it was, it was great two seasons and you won a Super Bowl. But nobody convinced me he has the ties to Tampa, the Dustin New England. But the reason I find this so interesting is because, like we said off the top, Tom Brady has a bit of Jordan in him. I think he's got a bit of petty in him. And I think there's multiple reasons as to why he didn't thank the New England Patriots. And I'll get into it here. Possibility number one for me. You know, Tom did a lot for that organization. Obviously, he doesn't win the Super Bowls without Bill Belichick. Nobody convinced me, can convince me to the contrary. Great quarterback with a great coach. That's a deadly combination. But Bill Belichick, coach, GM, drafted Tom Brady. And he didn't take him in the first round. He didn't take him in the second round. Didn't take him in the third round. You get my point. He took him in the sixth round. Meaning he had five rounds to take him before that. 199 pick in the draft. Tom Brady, Michigan, going to the New England Patriots. Well, okay, you took me, but it took you that long to take me. I'm this good. I'm sitting here. And I think Tom doesn't want to thank them because he says, you're just lucky you got me. You're lucky that you stumbled ass backwards into selecting the future GOAT quarterback, the best of all time. You didn't scout me well. You didn't look at the big picture. You just lucked in. You were late in the draft. You're like, okay, we need to, we'll take somebody. Bledsoe, you know, Drew Bledsoe needs a, a backup. Let's take this Brady kid. Maybe he can stick around. If not, we'll cut him in training camp. And ultimately, he makes the team, sits the first year, second season. Bledsoe gets hurt, and Brady never looks back. Bledsoe is traded in division to the Buffalo Bills. And you know, it, it's, it's a crazy story, but I think he, you know, this is like Jordan not making the varsity team in grade 10. He invited his high school bas basketball coach to his hall of fame speech so that he could roast him so that he could say, you're the biggest idiot. You didn't put me on your team. I'm the greatest of all time. I don't think Brady would do that publicly because you know, today is so much about public relations and, you know, being a good person, if you will, and just optics. And, but this is his way of doing it, saying, I'm not thanking you because you really didn't do that much for me. I was that good and you were just lucky enough to take me. So that's my first kind of hypothesis here. Reason number two, definitely more of the plausible one, even though I do believe possibly number one existed in the back of Tom Brady's head. And that's that the, the divorce, if you will, when Tom Brady exited the franchise in 2020 was really ugly. It was, it was reported by Seth Wickersham in 2017 that Bill Belichick wanted to move on from Tom Brady. He wanted to 
cut Tom Brady, trade Tom Brady, and he wanted his guy, Jimmy Garoppolo, to take over as the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. And I remember at first, this is, oh, this is not true. This is not true. Since then, multiple books have been written. And I'll be honest, I believe it was true because Tom Brady had to go to Robert Kraft and Robert Kraft had to go to Bill and say, Bill, Tommy, as he calls him, Tommy, Tommy's not leaving. You know, Tom's my guy. We're sticking with Brady. Now, he was still playing at a very high level, but we're talking about a 37, 38-year-old man. It's rare to see guys continue to play that well, and I'm sure Belichick was hedging, saying, I would rather get rid of a guy a year too early than a year too late. That is why Bill Belichick is so successful. He would cut players in the middle of contracts because he saw the decline coming. Well, he believed that Brady was in the mix of that, in the midst, and he was wrong because two of the next three years, they win Super Bowls. They reached a Super Bowl in the next three seasons. They lost to the Eagles in the middle there, but they beat the, um, they beat the Seahawks, and then they lose to the Rams, and then they beat the Rams. So through all of that, I believe it was touch and go because Brady – obviously felt slighted his coach wanted to move on from him. he's still playing at a high level he still wants to play as competitive as ever and he had to go to the owner and say you know daddy please you know i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to move i don't want to move i want to stay i want to stay here you know it's like and i think that created a rift and then ultimately two seasons ago Belichick really did did nothing to improve the roster. They made the playoffs, losing to the Titans, who were the sixth seed at the time, which was before the playoff expansion. And it was an embarrassing loss for New England at home. And but he had nobody to throw to that season. Jacoby Myers, wide receiver, uh, uh, quarterback turned wide receiver, was the top target. He since got better, but that season he was the best option. Nikhil Harry was a first-round draft pick. He's a bust. He had nobody. Gronk had retired. It was a disaster in New England. And with no weapons, the roster very depleted. I think it was a sign from Belichick that I really don't want to coach you anymore. Brady obviously still had that competitive edge. He said, I want to go win a Super Bowl. And I, I don't have, I'm not going to have the opportunity to do it here. I need some great talent along with me. And we see Belichick. We don't know what he's like behind the scenes, but I don't think he was great to Tom Brady. We've heard stories of how he treated Tom just like every other player. And in a way, that's a good thing. But at the same time, you are the, the starting quarterback. Quarterbacks like certain people in life, certain professions, you're going to get advantages that others don't. That's just how it works. You're going to get uh, an extra sick day, or maybe you'll miss practice this certain day. Brady didn't get that luxury. And in film study, Belichick would berate him, would say, you know, this play was so effing stupid and really put down Tom Brady. He set the standard, the Patriot way. But in saying that, Brady goes to Tampa wins a Super Bowl in his first year, becomes the first team to win a home Super Bowl. The Rams will try to do the same thing in 12 days. 
But Brady, I'm sure, looks at the situation in New England and says, I, I deserve 80% of the credit, and Belichick can get 20. But he was a prick of a coach. I was the quarterback, good guy Tom, and I needed every, everybody like me. That's the reason they came and played in New England. It wasn't because of Belichick. It was because of me. And I'm sure Brady you know, takes a, wants to take a lot of credit for the Patriot way and what they created there. And I think Belichick does get a lot of, and Belichick's a great coach. This doesn't change it. But this is just Tom Brady's mentality, I believe, that people give Belichick way too much credit for what I built, for what I kept together when it could have crashed and burned, but it didn't because I had the, you know, I had the wherewithal, I had the, the mental acuity to say, guys, this coach is a pain in the ass. Yes. But he can help us get to a Super Bowl. And you know what? I'm here. I'm going to take the bullets too. All for, you know, we're, we're, we're a group here. So what I'm interested in now, Tom's career is over. We'll be a Hall of Famer. What a class it will be with Brady and Ben Roethlisberger both going in. I'd love to see Larry Fitzgerald retire this um, offseason. If, he, you know, he didn't play this season, I expect he will retire. Um they obviously are on the same podcast, Tom Brady and Larry Fitzgerald, the Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray. I think it'd be cool to see them both going together. You know, the great, the greatest quarterback, one of the best receivers of all time, arguably the best third down receiver of all time in Larry Fitz. But what I want to see now is a 30 for 30. I, you know, the mothership does great, you know, ESPN 30 for 30s. You know, I watched uh, during the start of lockdown, I watched one on Michael Vick. Um, that was really interesting, even though I don't like Vick whatsoever. Um, that was a good one. I watched one recently on pardon interruption, about 20 plus years doing a PTI. You know, they're endless. They're, they're very, very good. And what I want to see is, you know, does Tom Brady have ill will towards Belichick? Does he have ill will towards Robert Kraft? What really happened in those number of years where he was remained in New England, they got the Super Bowls, but Belichick tried to force him out? I want to see that documentary. That's content I want to absorb. We remember how good the last dance was. At least I do. I loved it. Every week, I look forward to watching it. Well, this might be different because you might not get shots from, you know, this isn't uh, hard knocks where you get week in, week out pressers. But I'm sure Tom has something to say. I'm sure Tom has a story. And maybe after a few years of retirement, he thinks it over. He'll want to share that story. Because he's not a patriot anymore. He thanked the Bucs. It's almost as like his Boston Canton is going to be, you know, Bucks colors, even though he only won one ring in Tampa and six in New England. But I do think the one ring in Tampa means more to him than the six rings in New England because he did it on his own because he left Belichick. He left dad. You know, he, he left the house to do it on his own and he succeeded. But that, I, I want to hear that story. Is there meat on the bone there? Is there something that we don't know? Seth Mercersham's a great writer, a great reporter. Maybe he could do the 30 for 30 because he was on top of the story at the time. But what's what really happened? And he might not be playing anymore, but he can still provide content. 
He can still provide theater. He can still answer questions that we never would have had answered with him playing. And that's what's so potentially, possibly exciting. Does he open up the curtain? Does he share feelings? Does he tell us stories that we've never heard before? Now, if this was Tom Brady, the robot New England, I'd say we have a 0% chance of getting anything worthwhile, anything interesting from Tom Brady. It'd be robotic. It'd be golly gee whiz, Tom Brady, boring, the nerd. Since moving to Tampa, he's a different guy. He's free, uses his social media. He has a personality. He's actually got a sense of humor. I put the odds of, of 30 for 30, at least something about his career that could lead to a story that I don't really care about the first couple of years. I want to know about this, but it, I'm thinking there's a 60 to 70% chance we're going to get the story that I'm hoping for. Because you know the mothership will want to run it. Maybe Tom will do it himself, which is always a possibility. But we see he's working with ESPN right now with this man in the arena show. Could he do a spinoff of that and create something? That is what's interesting to me now. That's content. That's juicy. And if Belichick is still coaching, maybe he wouldn't do it when he's still coaching. I doubt he would. Brady's a classy guy. But he's also competitive. He's also petty. Maybe it's the season after Bill Belichick decides to put the pencil away tug the clipboard into his bag and go home. We see a documentary and, you know, it, we don't hear much, you don't hear many responses. Belichick doesn't have to answer, doesn't have to face the music. That wouldn't be as interesting because you know he wouldn't take that reporter well in, in New England. But one can hope that we, that we get something. But again, this is the best, quarterback to me he's on the Mount Rushmore of athletes I can't say he's the best football player ever because to me the best football player ever has you know I I, I equate a lot athletic ability and I equate just physical attributes more to me when it comes to the Michael Jordan can jump out of the gym Wayne Gretzky could skate like like no other Brady like I said, he didn't, doesn't have the best arm, doesn't have the greatest legs. His brain is the best. You could say that's his, that's his, that's his trump card. Is his, is his brain, which is nice to have. Wish I had it. Um, but you know, I look at Lawrence Taylor, I look at Jerry Rice, but Tom Brady's right there. Maybe I'm just hedging here, but um, a fantastic career. You could make the argument, I wouldn't be opposed to this, that he should go into the Hall of Fame alone. This summer, the Hall of Fame should push everyone back, and he should go in alone. I would support it. I think it's not a bad idea. And also, he deserves it. He's the most winning player ever. He, he, there's never been a Hall of Famer going in like a Tom Brady, in my opinion, since Lawrence Taylor. And also, I think, you know, it, it would help guys like Big Ben, like Larry Fitzgerald, whoever gets into the class with Brady, you can forget about those people. 
you'll hear one little blurb about this person. Big Ben was a great quarterback. Over. And it'll be a three-page excerpt about Tom Brady. I think it helps Brady because he deserves to go in right now. He deserves to be in his only class. And it also serves a purpose to the other Hall of Famers who deserve the recognition as well, who deserve to have a weekend where they are put in the spotlights. You know, Big Ben, Larry Fitzgerald, these guys deserve to be recognized by the Hall of Fame and given the uh, respect and adulation that they they deserve, that they earned. Big Ben Roethlisberger won two Super Bowls. He'll be an afterthought next to Tom Brady. I don't think he cares. I'm sure these people wouldn't care. I'm just thinking in the grand scheme of it's going to be all Tom Brady, where I think if you just had a weekend this summer with Tom Brady, I'm fine with it. I think it's a smart decision. He's obviously, he deserves that opportunity to go in by himself. And, you know, the NFL will never be the same. You know, he leaves Tampa, you know, Tampa now only has one quarterback signed on their roster. That would be Kyle Trask, who they took the last pick of the second round last year, kid out of Florida. Blaine Gabbert, the backup the last two years, is an unrestricted free agent. Do they bring him back? Tampa's in an interesting situation. Ryan Jensen, the center, is a free agent. Chris Godwin's a free agent. Um, Gronk is likely going to retire now that Brady has. Where, where do they go? Who do they target at quarterback as their quarterback of the future? This whole division, Carolina has Sam Darnold under contract, but is he the quarterback of the future? Played pretty horrible last season, but that's who they have. They they're, have to pay him $19 million this coming season. You look at um, Atlanta. Well, Matt Ryan is the most experienced quarterback in this, this division by far, but he's also 38. He's not what he used to be. And Atlanta is not a very good football team. So that you don't have much confidence in them. And then there's New Orleans. Sean Payton has just left. Jameis Winston's a free agent coming off a torn ACL. James, uh, Taysom Hill's under contract, but he's not a starting quarterback. Trevor Simeon's a free agent. And they have uh, second year pro coming uh, Ian Buck from Notre Dame. So this whole division is devoid of quarterbacks. Now, will Jameis Winston go back to New Orleans? Possibly. It'd be, and he'd be the most experienced, you know, he'd be a, a solid starter. He was last year. We'll see if he can, if he can continue what he was doing before he tore his ACL. But Tampa has won a Super Bowl, won their division, and got to a divisional round where they lost by a last second field goal. And now they're without Tom Brady and they're searching for his replacement. Not an easy spot to be in. Matt Jones handled it well in New England, but who do they go? Where do they draft a player? Do they sign a free agent? Do they trade for, do they try to land a Russell Wilson, a Jimmy Garoppolo? Wouldn't that be fun? Who knows? A lot to be decided. But we'll, we'll have lots to talk about over the next number of months about where this division goes, what this team does. But today's about Tom Brady. And just thank you, Tom. You know, 22 seasons, 20 as a starter. Just one of the greatest athletes in the history of the world. And, you know, kudos to, kudos to Tom and everything that he accomplished over his illustrious career.
Now, before we move off the NFL, there's an interesting little juicy story. And, you know, when I listen to other podcasts, I, I don't, you know, I have my own thoughts, I have my own ideas, but when I hear stories, when I hear scoops, I feel it's important to bring it to you guys because you guys might not listen to as many as I do. I listen to a lot. Uh, and it's, I just thought this was interesting. So I was listening to, it's called Nothing Personal uh, with David Sampson. And da uh, David Sampson is a, the former president, CEO of the Miami Marlins, won a, a World Series with them in um, uh, 2004. But David's a very connected guy. He talks about football, talks baseball, but he has a lot of sources. He's very connected. And he was talking yesterday about Jim Harbaugh. And obviously Jim Harbaugh, the former head coach, San Francisco 49ers, current coach at Michigan. And we talked about Harbaugh a few weeks ago when we had the conversation about the Miami Dolphins. And I, you know, tore a piece into their owner, Stephen Ross, who I believe is one of the worst owners in pro sports. You know, he has a coach in Brian Flores who had two straight winning seasons as a head coach. The first time a head coach for the Dolphins has done that since 0304, yet he fires them because they had differences over the quarterback play, where I don't believe two is the quarterback of the future, but Stephen Ross apparently did not want to get Deshaun Watson. So, you know, Stephen Ross at the time said, you know, I don't want to hire Jim Harbaugh. I, you know, I love Jim, but, you know, Stephen Ross went to Michigan. He's one of the biggest boosters at the school. And he said, I don't want to hurt Michigan to, to uh, amplify, to improve the Miami Dolphins, which he, you know, he would, would rather his alma mater succeed than the team that he owns. So that tells you something about the owner. But, okay, I, I pushed it aside and said, okay, well, they said it publicly. They're not interested in Jim Harbaugh. But we're multiple weeks into this hiring process. Four jobs have been taken. Five are still vacant. And you hear nothing about Miami interviewing Jim Harbaugh. And you really went cold on Jim Harbaugh becoming an NFL head coach again. That was until this weekend when it was reported that the Minnesota Vikings had exploratory conversations with Jim Harbaugh about become, being the next head coach, where they see the team going in the future, conversations of the sort. And I said, well, you know, they're interviewing a lot of guys, Kevin O'Connell, the Rams OC, Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator for the Rams. Maybe Harbaugh was just, they gave him an interview. But then last night, Ian Rappaport reports of the NFL Network that Harbaugh is, they're flying Harbaugh into Minnesota tomorrow to have an in-person meeting with the Minnesota Vikings. So it looks like Harbaugh is a finalist for the job. And I've even heard if he's offered the job, he'll be, he'll accept it. He'll take it. But Samson had an interesting thought and he had heard this from multiple people that it's been worked on for weeks that Stephen Ross will hire Jim Harbaugh. If a team offers him a job like Minnesota, he'll hire him. He just needed a team to do it first. He needed a team to bring him in for interviews because he said he didn't want to take away from Michigan. Well, if the perception, if the truth of it is 
that Jim Harbaugh is leaving to go to the NFL, well, he's not hurting Michigan because Jim Harbaugh's leaving already. So the statement three weeks ago after they fired Flores on, on Black Monday would be a would be a false story. It wouldn't be true because he's and maybe Samson's wrong, but he gets a lot of these right. And I think it's an interesting one. He just needed somebody to pull the trigger first. He needed somebody to interview Harbaugh so he could say, you know what, it's okay for me to do this. I can't take from my alma mater. And to me, this is, I have no problem with a team hiring Jim Harbaugh. I don't view him the same way as Urban Meyer. Do I think Harbaugh is crusty? Yes. Do I think Harbaugh is a, a bit of a prick? Yes. But he's had NFL success. He's coached in the NFL before. He's got a team to a Super Bowl. He, you know, turned Colin Kaepernick into one of the most creative, one of the most dynamic players in the NFL. Urban Meyer had never done that. He had never had success in the NFL. He was not a, he was a great college coach, but never had success in the NFL. And I, for Stephen Ross, if this is what you needed to hire him and this happens, this just points out why even more, why he's a terrible owner. You hire the coach that is best for you. Look at the Giants. They hired Jeff Schoen, who's the assistant GM in Buffalo. He hired Brian Dable because he worked with him in Buffalo. He had to, he had to uh, interview one black coach for the Rooney rule, but I'm fine with him hiring Brian Dable because they know each other. It was, a, you knew it was happening. It was obvious. But it was transparent. They didn't lie about it. I look at Harbaugh. And I, I mean, I look at Stephen Ross and say, well, just hire the guy. If you want to hire him that bad, hire him. Don't take a third party to do it for you. And if I look at it for Jim Harbaugh, I'd rather coach the Dolphins. And, you know, Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. He's solid. He'll get you to the quarter, uh, get you to the playoffs every two seasons. But he's not a quarter, he's not a game changer. He's not a guy that's going to change the world for you. They got Thielen. You got Justin Jefferson, who are both great, great players. The offensive line is porous. The defense has gotten progressively worse over the last couple of years. I think it's a team that's in transition. They're getting older. They're going to get worse before they get better. Well, the Dolphins have a young roster. They have a good defense. Do I, do I think they have their future at quarterback? I don't. But could Harbaugh, could they find a trade for somebody? Could they make a move? Would Russell Wilson go to Miami? If he wants out of Seattle, Miami's not a bad destination. Good weather, a good team. Obviously, you got to deal with Josh Allen, but you have Devontae Parker. You, I think they got to search for a running back um, in the draft, improve that position. But you got to you got to work on the offensive line. But Miami has a decent roster. But I have, like I said, I have no problem with Jim Harbaugh becoming head coach. I don't think it'd be that bad of a hire. If Minnesota hires him, I don't think it's a bad hire. But if Miami had to go through these you know, go around and do these stupid little pit stops to hire the guy they wanted to hire from Jump Street, 
I think it's really, really stupid. It, it looks like a clown show, which the organization is. You could have hired the guy two and a half weeks ago. He's going to be interviewing tomorrow in Minnesota. This is going to be the tell is if he interviews tomorrow, we'll know one way or the other by Thursday, Friday at the latest. I believe Jim Harbaugh will have one of two jobs in the NFL. Minnesota or Miami. Minnesota might offer him the job and he might go to Stephen Ross and say, this is what they offered to pay me. I'm not going back to Michigan. Another point that Samson pointed out is Jim Harbaugh's assist, you know, defensive coordinator, his assistant coach left Michigan to become the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, and who coaches the Baltimore Ravens? Oh, yeah, that would be Jim's brother, John. Defensive coordinators don't leave college jobs for the NFL unless they think the head coach is not coming back. Maybe gave them a heads up and say, you know what, I'm going to take an NFL job because they might not remain on the staff if a new coach is hired. And college coaches make more money than NFL coaches. Coordinators do by far. But if you think I might lose my job if there's a new coach and I have an opportunity, I'm going to go with your brother, who, we, who they probably have a good relationship with. I'll jump on that because I'm not going to be able to coach with you next year anyway. It's a fun story. I don't know what's going to happen with it. But if Minnesota hires him, good on Minnesota. Um, D'Amico Ryans, the defensive coordinator for San Francisco, backed out of the job. He wants to stay in San Francisco. I think he's a great defensive coordinator. I think he will be a head coach one day. Hopefully, I'm, I'm really hoping for him because it's, again, it's ridiculous that he isn't. But we'll see. What, what happens there, but there's a lot to be decided. You know, still five head coaching vacancies. We got obviously the Super Bowl upcoming, off seasons with Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. And where do, what does the NFC look like after this off season? Tom Brady's gone. If Rodgers leaves, which is potential, if Wilson leaves, if Jimmy Garoppolo is traded, Matthew Stafford is going to be alone at the top. He's going to be in a really good position with the Rams with a great position to potentially go on a run and get back to another Super Bowl. Now, a lot to be decided, but a lot of things can happen here. Moving to hockey, uh, it was announced today that uh, Eric Stahl will be the captain of the Canadian men's Olympic hockey team, which gets started on November, uh, sorry, on February 10th where they'll play the Germans. Um, you know, this is a great call for Canada. You got Eric Stahl over there. I've heard him interviewed uh, recently. He said he wants to get back into the game, uh, get into the NHL. He wants to use it as a, as a launching pad. And, you know, he's a, he's a former uh, captain in the NHL, a great leader. Uh, David DeArnay and Maxim Noreau were named alternates. You know, he's 37 years old. Eric Stahl played for Montreal last year made it to the cup final, you know, almost at 1300 career games, obviously won a Stanley cup. And he uh, has been on two different Olympic teams winning in 2010 on the active roster. He was on the taxi squad in 06. So he's had a lot of Olympic experience. He's a great player. And of all these guys, you have, you know, some, some youngsters 
you have guys that are just journeymen to get on the team. Eric Stahl was the clear choice. He's been there before. He's done that. So the Olympics are getting going. Uh, opening ceremonies are on Friday. You know, I really don't get too excited for the Olympics until they start. Um, I, when I think of the Winter Olympics, I love obviously the hockey. That goes without saying. Uh, snowboarding would be number two. Um, speed skating, right there for me. Uh, watch, you know, the carnage is fun. Um, downhill skiing is, is great. So you know, the Winter Olympics have a lot. Even the skeleton and the bobsled are great. There's a lot of great events across uh, country I can do without. Um, and of course, figure skating, which seems to go on for two weeks, the whole two weeks, it seems to be on. I really hope they condense that this year, but won't get into that today. But um, yeah, Olympics a few days away. Uh, and that'll be great to see the athletes get to compete. They're going to allow fans. I'm not sure if I, I believe that parents can go. Uh, I, I haven't read anything to the contrary. Uh, I heard Ray Ferraro asked in overdrive last week and he said, you know, he can't go because um, he has work. You know, he's obviously works for the mothership works for TSN. So he can't go over to watch his son land and play. But I think if he was just a normal parent that didn't work in media, didn't have, you know, a job that he would have the opportunity to go and, and watch in person if he wanted to, that was not a possibility in Tokyo uh, this summer. So that that's one change of the pandemic through the past number of months. Last night in Toronto, it was another comeback win for the Leafs, which kudos to them. The most important part of Saturday night in their win to Detroit, in, uh, at, against Detroit and then last night against New Jersey is that they won the game because it's the middle of the season you're getting to the halfway point. You're one game away from the all-star break. So points are at a premium. Florida continues to win. You need to keep pace with the Panthers. But in the grand scheme of things, looking past just the one game, over the past 10 games, defensively, the Toronto Maple Leafs have been pretty disastrous. And I thought... I saw flashes of Timothy Lilligren and why he was playing in the NHL. But between him and Travis Dermott, it's been, it's become clear. It's become obvious watching the game last night. Neither guy can be playing come playoff time. And I truly believe that. I'm sure some would say, well, Travis Dermott can occupy a position. He can play your sixth defenseman. I really don't think. If you want to legitimately compete for a Stanley Cup, if you want to be, if you want to beat Florida, if you want to beat Tampa, Carolina, go down the list. It cannot be with this defense core. Riley and Brody are a great pair, and they're they're great to have on the same because they play very well together. But after that, it gets so thin. Timothy Lilligren last night and the past number of games, he's just a turnover machine. He gets the puck. And he doesn't, he doesn't see the ice well. He makes stupid decisions. Sandine and Logan cannot play well together. Sandine can play, but he needs to have a veteran defenseman alongside him that makes smart, because he's an offensive guy. He needs a guy, to, a, a good decision maker to be on the back end with him. But Lilligren is showing why he took so long to get from the AHL. 
he gets the puck it's and it's panic or it's give the puck to the other team. And this back end, I believe, is making Jack Campbell play worse than he is. Now, did Jack Campbell have a really bad night last night? Yes. The Andreas Janssen third goal cannot, can never can that go in, ever. It's a terrible goal. You have to make that save, plain and simple. But there have been times in games where he gets hung out to dry because they can get the puck out of the zone, and it's in the back of the net. And that's why I, I say this over and over. Defensive play is not just on the goalie or the defense. Forwards make an effort. And I don't see Toronto's team do that enough. Their forwards coast back or they stay at the blue line. Get in the zone. Too few guys make that second effort to back check, to get in the defensive zone and be in a position to aid your team. I don't know why they don't do it. Lazy has to come into it because you can score six goals over Comet. Well, they're lucky last night that they're playing against Barney Rubble in net for the for the New Jersey, New Jersey Devils, who has a goals against above 450. The guy couldn't stop a beach ball. It also helps you have Austin Matthews, who gets a hat trick last night. Great. Best goal scorer in hockey. But you're not gonna. You're not coming back against Tampa like that. You're because guess what? They get up five one. They're not giving up four, ever. Because they're just better defensively. That they, they know how to play games. Florida, they play more wide open, but Florida can match Toronto. Go for a goal. Don't. There's no. Look at what Florida did last night. They put an eight spot on Columbus, but to put this into perspective. Mason Marchment, who's a former draft pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who Toronto traded to Florida a few seasons ago for, I can't even remember. This is really, it was like a five foot eight Ford because that's, Dubas loves those Fords. He did nothing for the team. He's over in Europe now. Marchment had six points last night. Six points. He's a fourth liner. But he's a fourth liner. He's got 23 points in 21 games. He's a point per game this season, Mason Marchman. And he's playing with a guy like Anton Lundell, who's a flat-out stud. He's from Finland. He was a, a captain of, of the World Junior Team. I love him to death. I, I think he's hard to play against. He's physical. But they he had Lundell had a big night last night. He had five assists. And here, for all the dinosaurs out there, Lundell, Marchment, and Reinhardt. So Marchment had six points, Lundell five, Reinhardt four, and a hat trick. We're all plus six. Lundell played 15 minutes. He had five points. Marchment played 15, 30, had six. Sam Reinhardt only played 17, four points. Lundell is playing his way into the rookie of the year conversation. He's a phenomenal player, but I just, I look at a team like Florida. You don't want to do it. And Florida has their warts. Don't get me wrong. They give, they give up four goals last night. Bobrovsky didn't play well. He's been on a bit of a slide. He's got a 256 goals against that needs to go down. Florida needs to play better defensively too. 
because they're not going to be able to score that many goals in the playoffs either. But I, I see Toronto have more nights that are they're out to lunch than a team like Florida. Florida can play tight games if that's the way the game's being played. Toronto can't. They have, they have to come back and score seven goals because they, they can't play that type of game. We'll see where this goes. You know, Toronto's got New Jersey again tonight. Florida's in New York. Both teams play their last games before the All-Star break. <laughs> but for both of these teams who are both very good, both extremely good teams, I'm interested to see how both teams approach the last, the back half of the season, the second half. You both can score. We know that. You're, you're going to continue to score goals. But for both of these teams, if they want to get over the hump, both these teams have no playoff success. You're going to play a Tampa team that has the most playoff success in the last number of years in the NHL. You need to improve your defensive play because Tampa will play a 2-1 game against you. They'll play a 1-0. Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final against the Islanders, they win that game 1-0. That's just that's the way they can play games. Can you? Can Florida? Can Toronto do that? I think Toronto needs two additions on the back end. I said that last week. That hasn't changed for me. Ben Sherratt needs to be one of them. Florida, they could use another defenseman, but I think this is more about the team. Again, forwards, make smarter decisions. Don't leave your player, uh, don't leave your defenseman out to lunch. And Bobrovsky makes some saves. He's had a really good season. He's on a bit of a dip. I see the same thing with Jack Campbell. I, I don't, I wouldn't fret about Jack Campbell. Terrible last night, bad 10 game stretch. He's going to get tonight off. He'll come back. I think he's in the all-star game. He can go there, have a couple drinks with Matthews. Everything should be okay. But the Atlantic's a really interesting division because they're two loaded teams. Tampa's right there in the middle of them. Can, can these type of teams, can a team like Toronto, can a team like a Colorado who went 15-0-1 in the month in January? It's pretty damn dominant. Can you play defensive hockey can two high octane offenses can you play a defensive game can you play a team that's heavier like new jersey isn't heavy heavy but they play you know a guy like nicholas bastion went all over the least defense last night he created a, he won board battles he scored a goal because they won a puck battle in the corner that's what this next half of the season's about is can you make those big plays in the big moments and can you win defensive games because it's still has been proven to me that either the Florida Panthers or the Toronto Maple Leafs can do that. But we'll have to wait and see if they can accomplish that goal as we go down the stretch. Like I said, you got Leafs Devils uh, at home and home, second meeting between the two tonight. You also got in the docket Panthers Rangers. Like I just said, that should be a good one at MSG. Capitals Penguins. Um, Jets are in Philadelphia playing the Flyers. Canucks on a back-to-back playing the Predators. They got a big win last night. Um, Avalanche against the Coyotes. Sabres, Golden Knights, and you have some great, uh, some good basketballs. I mentioned the Heat Raptors. They played a triple overtime game on Saturday, and the Heat lost by 22 last night. 
the Raptors found a way to win in Atlanta. I thought it was their most impressive win of the season after you had guys almost play 60 minutes after triple overtime. They found a way to beat Atlanta. Both teams are on a back-to-back tonight. Raptors have four games in five nights. I'm interested to see what kind of energy both these teams have this evening. And a nightcap, you got a good one with the Brooklyn Nets visiting the Phoenix Suns. Suns are just on fire. They are 40-9 and nine on the season. They've just been cruising. And we'll see if Kyrie Irving and the, the cast of characters in Brooklyn can stop them tonight. But I'll be with, uh, podcasting with Seamus Fillmore later. We'll talk about Sneaky Pete. I'll be back tomorrow with Cole McDonald. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a lot about hockey, some different storylines and, uh, Thursday, Walker Campbell and, uh, Creighton, uh, Fillmore Son of Pass will join me again. We'll have another round table. So that should be a lot of fun. That'll be a uh, Thursday afternoon. So lots coming this week. Hope you guys uh, have a great day. And as always, we'll talk soon.